Rambam, Maimonides, begins the seventh chapter of Hilchas Chometz and Matzah, the laws of Chometz and Matzah, with these words. Mitzvahs ase shal teira l'sapir banisim v'nifloyis shenasu laveseinu b'mitzrayim b'leil chamisha oser benisim. It is a positive commandment of the Torah to relate the story of the miracles and the wonders that were performed to our forefathers in Egypt on the 9th of the 15th of Nisan. Shenemar, as the Pasuk, as the verse says, in this week's Parsha, in Parsha's Boy, Zachar es hayoyim azeh Moses turns to the Jewish people, he turns to the nation and he says, remember this day when you have left, when you have been set free from Egypt. And the Rambam continues, This is similar to what the Pasuk says in Parshish Yisroi, Zachar es Yom HaShabbos. Remember the day of Shabbos. In the Ten Commandments in the Aseris Adibris, one of the instructions is, remember the day of Shabbos. So the Rambam is saying it's a mitzvah to remember and tell the story of the miracles that were performed on the night of Pesach, the night of the 15th of Nisan, just as there is a commandment to remember Shabbos, Zachir, Yom HaShabbos. And then the Rambam continues, how do you know that this story should be told on the night of the 15th of Nisan? Talmud Leimar Bavorza. Tell the story to your child on that day. You should be able to point to the matzah and the marer. Ba'avurzeh, because of these items, God took me out of Egypt. So in other words, the story must be told on that night when you have the matzah and you have the marer in front of you at the seder. Va'afal pi ben, the Rambam continues. And even if you do not have a child, you still ought to tell the story of the exodus of Egypt. Afilu chachamim g'doylem chayavam even great sages are obligated to tell the story of the Exodus. The one who elaborates on the things that occurred and happened is praiseworthy. This is the opening halacha, the opening section of the seventh chapter of Hilchas Chametz and Matzah. The commentators who explain the Rambam ask the following question. Why was it necessary for the Rambam to make the juxtaposition between the mitzvah to remember the Exodus and the mitzvah to remember Shabbos? The Rambam began that it's a mitzvah on the night of Pesach to tell the story of the Exodus of Egypt, a clear commandment in the Torah and Parsha's boy, where Moshe tells the Jews, remember this day when you left Egypt. It's clear. What is missing? What motivates the Rambam to add the words, just as the Torah says elsewhere in Parshish Yisra, remember the day of Shabbos. 
What would be missing without the comparison to Shabbos? Why do we need Shabbos here? What are we learning from Shabbos? What are we deriving from Shabbos? What is Shabbos contributing to the understanding of the mitzvah of remembering the day that we left Egypt? The Minchas Chinuch in Mitzvah Chaf Aleph explains that what the Rambam is telling us is that the mitzvah does not apply only to the person who has children. The Pasuk says in Parshas Boivi, Gada tell the story to your child. What if somebody is not sitting with his child? Or somebody doesn't have a child? Is there still a mitzvah? So therefore the Rambam compares it to Shabbos, Zacharis Yom HaShabbos, remember the day of Shabbos. You don't only tell the story of Shabbos to your child. Even on your own, there's a mitzvah on every Jew independently to remember and celebrate the day of Shabbos. In fact, if you look at the Sefer HaMitzvahs of the Rambam, we were quoting Mishnah Torah Yad HaChazak of the Rambam. If you look in the book of Mitzvahs of the Rambam, Sefer HaMitzvahs, in Mitzvahs essay Kufnun Zayin, Mitzvah number 157, the Rambam quotes the Mechilta, the Midrashic tradition where the rabbis Quote the Pasuk in Parshas Boi, Ki Yish'olcha Bincha, if your child asks you, what is the significance of Pesach, you should explain to him. You should explain it to him. And the Mechilta says, I would think that the mitzvah is only if your child asks you. What if your child doesn't ask any questions? Therefore the Pasuk says in Parshas Boi, Vihi You should tell it to your child even if he does not inquire. And then the Mechilta continues. I would think the mitzvah applies only if you have a child. But what happens if you're sitting with yourself or you're sitting with other adults? Is there still a mitzvah? Therefore, the Pasuk says in Moshe says, remember this day. Irrelevant whether you're being asked. Irrelevant whether there's a child. You ought to remember this day of Pesach. And the Rambam adds, after quoting this mechilta in Sefer HaMitzvahs, Meaning that Hashem commands us to remember the Exodus as He commands us to remember the day of Shabbos. You can open the curriculum that is here under the video and you'll see the Rambam in Mishnah Torah and the Rambam in Sefer HaMitzvah. In other words, what the Rambam is telling us is that from the words, we learn now that the mitzvah of remembering the Exodus of Egypt applies also when there's no child asking any questions. And to prove this and to demonstrate this even stronger, the Rambam brings a proof from Shabbos, that just as the mitzvah to remember Shabbos applies also when a person is on his own or with other adults, the same is true concerning Zacher the mitzvah to remember the Exodus of Egypt. According to this statement of the Rambam in Sefer HaMitzvahs, we can apparently explain the Rambam in Mishnah Torah and Yad HaChazaka as well. That the reason he makes the comparison to Shabbos is to drive home the point that you're obligated to tell the story of the exodus of Egypt even independent of the fact that there are children there whom you are trying to educate and inspire even if you're celebrating the Seder with other adults or with yourself, there is still a mitzvah to remember the exodus just as there is a mitzvah to remember Shabbos, irrelevant who's there in your home on Shabbos. 
This would also explain why in the same halacha the Rambam says, even though he doesn't have a child, as we quoted earlier, and you could see it in your curriculum. Because from Shabbos we learn out that this exists even if you don't have a child. And yet, there seems to be a question. Because it's difficult to actually say that this is the reason the Rambam compares it to Shabbos. Or this is the whole reason why he compares it to Shabbos. Why? When you're learning Rambam, the seventh chapter of Hilchus Chametz Matzah, why would you think otherwise? Why would you believe that the mitzvah of remembering the Exodus only applies when you have a child there? The Rambam quotes as the source of the mitzvah, the verse in Parshas Boy. Moshe told the nation, remember this day that you left Egypt. He didn't give any other stipulations. He didn't say whether you have children, if you're talking to your child, if your child asks. He just says flat, remember the day that you left Egypt. Why would anybody entertain the notion and the idea that the obligation to remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim applies only if there's a child? In fact, if you look in Mechilta, the source of the Rambam and Sefer HaMitzvahs, the Mechilta doesn't bring a proof from Shabbos that you have to remember the exodus of Egypt on your own. The Mechilta brings this actual verse. It suffices. It tells us the whole story. Why from this verse would you not know that the obligation to remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is even on your own and the Rambam feels the necessity to add In Sefer HaMitzvahs, you can answer this question. You can say, since the Rambam begins by saying that the source of celebrating a Seder and giving over the story is from Vihigada Talavincha, telling your child, so therefore you would think that the mitzvah is based on telling it to your child. So even after the Rambam brings the verse, he adds the comparison to Shabbos to show us that the mitzvah of remembering the, remembering the Exodus is similar to Shabbos, that it's even independent. But in Mishnah Torah and Yad HaChazaka, where the exclusive source for the concept of making a Seder, of telling the story of the Exodus, is from the verse, not from Why would anybody entertain even the thought that the verse is referring only if you have a child there and therefore the Rambam feels the need to bring proof from Shabbos that you should remember it on your own? So we're back to our first question, why the Rambam has to compare it to Shabbos. There are other answers given in various Commentators of the Rambam, the Migdalois gives an answer, the Ersameach and Rambam gives an answer. But this evening we're going to explore a particular explanation presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe at the Fabrengen at the gathering of Achirin Shal Pesach Tovshin Mem, the last day of Pesach, 1980, with some additions and explanations based on various sources and Svarim and books. By adding these words, the Rambam is not just giving us another mitzvah where the person ought to remember something. That indeed would add no substantial idea. It says, remember Egypt? Remember Egypt. Why do you have to tell me just like there's a mitzvah to remember Shabbos? What does it help me here? Rather, the Rambam is explaining to us what is the mitzvah to remember the exodus of Egypt? He's not just giving an example from another mitzvah. He's defining this particular mitzvah. 
when we say there's a mitzvah to remember the wonders that were done to our fathers in Egypt on the night of Passover, the Rambam is helping us understand and crystallize and accurately define what is the characteristic and the nature, the definition of this mitzvah. And he does this in his own inimitable way by saying, As the verse says, remember the day of Shabbos. From understanding the mitzvah of remembering Shabbos, we can go back to have a better and clearer and deeper understanding of the mitzvah of remembering on Pesach the exodus, the exodus of Egypt. For this, let's travel for a moment to the laws of Shabbos in the Rambam, Hilchus Shabbos. And you can open it up in your curriculum. The Rambam begins the laws of Shabbos, Hilchus Shabbos, the first chapter. Shvisa There is a positive commandment to rest on the seventh day from work. The Pasuk says in Shmois, you should rest on the seventh day. Somebody who commits work on the Shabbos, who engages in labor, bitl mitzvah's essay, nullified a positive commandment, and transgressed a negative commandment, don't do any work. So first the Rambam continues that there is a mitzvah's essay, there is a positive mitzvah to rest on the seventh day of Shabbos. Then the Rambam continues, somebody who engages in actual work on Shabbos, they violate this. So not only did they not perform a positive commandment, they also committed a negative commandment because the Torah says, don't do any work on Shabbos. Then they have a Rambam and Hilchus Shabbos Perik Chaf Aleph, the 21st chapter of the laws of Shabbos. The Rambam begins, Nemar ba tishbois. It says in Torah in regard to Shabbos, you shall rest. Uvayoyim ashvi tishbois, on the seventh day you shall rest. And the Rambam says, Even things that are not defined as actual work or labor, still the person should rest from them. And the Rambam continues to explain and elaborate on this. The Rogachover gone, the Tofnas Paneach, in Hilchis Shabbos, explains clearly the meaning of the words of the Rambam. That in Shabbos there are two components. There is the passive element of Shabbos, or the loisasa, the prohibition to do work. The Torah says, on Shabbos you should abstain from engaging in work. What is the definition of work? On this, the Mishnah tells us in Shrachtei Shabbos, there are 39 prototypes of what is considered labor and work on Shabbos. Plowing, sowing, harvesting, igniting a flame, carrying from one domain to another domain, etc. 39 prototypes. One element of Shabbos is the negative, is the passive to abstain, not to engage in work. But there's another element in Shabbos, the mitzvah's essay. There's a positive commandment to rest. When I don't engage in labor, I did something passive. I stayed away from work. I did not cook. I did not ignite a flame. I did not carry. I did not plant. I did not sow. I did not weave. I did not write. I did not erase. That's the passive element of Shabbos, what you don't do on Shabbos. 
But the Rambam clearly says there's something positive. There's a positive commandment. Something I have to do in an active way, not just in a passive way. The difference between a positive and a negative commandment, the mitzvah's essay and the mitzvah's loisah says, there's a mitzvah's loisah, for example, a Jew is not allowed to eat pork. So that's something you don't actively do. It's something you do passively. You abstain from eating chazer or other, other mitzvah's loisah, which you're not allowed to do. A mitzvah's essay is a mitzvah that invites us to do something positive, to engage in an active act, whether it's giving charity, whether it's putting on tefillin, whether it's placing a mezuzah on our doorpost. So the Rambam says Shabbos is not just don't do work. There's also a mitzvah sesi, there's something positive to rest. In the words of the Rakachover, Rabbi Yosef Rosen, the great, brilliant, genius and scholar, the rabbi of Dvinsk, the Rav of Dvinsk and the author of Tzofnas Paneach on the Rambam, Writes, and I quote in his commentary to Shabbos, Perik Chafalov, Hilcha Shabbos, Perik Chafalov, Ha essay minucha veloi bitl malacha. According to the Rambam, the positive commandment for Shabbos is to rest, not just to abstain from work. Not only bitl malacha, not working. Not working is part of the mitzvah of Shabbos, but there's something else. There's a mitzvah, Uvayoim hashvi tishbois, Nemar batayre tishbois. There's a mitzvah to rest, to experience tranquility, to experience menucha on Shabbos. That's not passive, that's active. And the Rogachavar says that there are differences between the two. Apparently, on some level, it would seem that the two elements are identical. I don't work, so I'm relaxed. I'm passive, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm not working, so I'm relaxing, I'm experiencing menucha. The Rogachavar says that there are differences between the two. He gives a few examples, even halachic, practical examples. I'll give you one of them. The Gemara says in Erev in the Flamad Hayamid Aleph that there's a prohibition on a Jew for Shabbos to use a morivachatsinit, to use a shovel or a hoe. The Gemara talks there, the Mishnah talks there about if a Jew sets up shop in a particular location outside of the city, what we call an Erev Tchumen, and he has his meal over there, so that he should be able to be there uh, on Shabbos and walk long distances from that place. But what happens is, Nafalalav Hagal, the Mishnah says, which means a mountain falls on the Erev. So therefore, when Shabbos came in, there was no Erev there. So the Gemara says that it's inaccessible for him to dig it out right before Shabbos. Why? Because he has to use a morivachatsina. He has to use a shovel and a hoe. And since he has to use a shovel and a hoe, as Rashi says, That's considered a malacha. Now it's not one of the 39 prototypes. When he picks up a shovel and he takes out his food, as the Rekachavar explains, it's not one of the 39 prototypes. But the problem is, he wasn't Mekayim in Nucha. He did not fulfill the mitzvah of Tishbais. Because it's a very burdensome thing to do. So sometimes I'm engaging in something, technically it's not work, it's not labor. It's not one of the 39 prototypes of labor that are forbidden on Shabbos. And yet... I am forbidden to do it because I may not be engaging in the negative commandment of engaging in malach and work, 
but I'm still not fulfilling the positive commandment of tishboys, of resting on Shabbos. When I use the shovel, it may be in a fashion that I'm not violating any of the Lama test, the 39 prototypes of work, but I'm still not fulfilling the mitzvah of resting on Shabbos, of menucha on Shabbos. That's the positive commandment on Shabbos. And the Rekha gives other ramifications. Now the question is, which comes first? So clearly, the Rambam begins the laws of Shabbos with a positive commandment. The Rambam begins, Shvisa ba'ashvim Although most of the laws of Shabbos are really a discussion of what are the 39 types of labor and their offspring, their branches. That's really the discussion. Yet the Rambam begins not with the loises of Shabbos, what you're not allowed to do on Shabbos. He begins with what you have to do on Shabbos in a positive way, in an active way, meaning resting. So according to the Rambam, the primary component of observing Shabbos is not the negative element of not engaging in work, but the positive element of engaging in menuchin, and rest and tranquility. In fact, when we look at the source of Shabbos in Chumash, we see that there are two elements. How Shabbos is there are two elements in Shabbos. Shabbos is discussed in two places: in the creation of the world in Bereshis, and when the Torah is given in Parshas Yisrael. In the creation of the world, it says Hashem rested on the seventh day. God rested from all of His work, and He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because on that day. He rested from all of his work. In other words, what is the significance of Shabbos? God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he abstained from the labor of constructing the universe. This is in Genesis. But in Yisrael, in Exodus, when the Torah is given, one of the Ten Commandments is, remember the day of Shabbos, because six days Hashem made the heaven and the earth. And he rested on the seventh day. Here, Shabbos is not defined as the day when he abstained from work, as in Bereshis. Here it's defined as a day in which he engaged in Menucha. He rested on Shabbos. And therefore, we remember Shabbos in both ways. There is the element of remembering and celebrating Shabbos in a passive way. By not engaging in work and by remembering its uniqueness that it's a day when we don't engage in the labors of other days. And there is something else in remembering Shabbos. Remembering Shabbos as a unique day in an active sense. It's the day when we actively engage in menucha, in tranquility and rest. Now let's try to explain this in a more practical sense and take it a little bit out of the realm of halacha to the realm of drush, of agoda, at least more agoda. We all know that the Ten Commandments are presented twice in Chumash, in Parshas Yisrael and in Parshas Va'eschanon. The first time is when they happened, the second time is when Moshe repeats the story. The first is in Exodus, the second is in Deuteronomy. In most cases, the Ten Commandments are identical in both locations, but there are a few differences. 
One of the differences is when it comes to Shabbos. In Parshish Yisra it says, Zohar Yom HaShabbos. Remember the day of Shabbos. In Parshish Vayashanan it says, Shomer Yom HaShabbos. Guard the day of Shabbos. Preserve the day of Shabbos. The rabbis say, what's the change? What happened? What did God say? Did God say remember? Did God say guard? And on this the Chazal say famously, Zohar v'shamar b'dibur echad nemru. Zohar and Shamar were said in one utterance. Both words were said simultaneously as one. Of course, impossible for the human mind to comprehend. How can you say two separate words simultaneously, not consecutively? But this is what the rabbis say, what happened at Sinai. Zohar and Shamar, remember Shabbos and preserve Shabbos were said as one simultaneously expressed in the fact that in Yisra it says Zohar and in Vaschanan it says Shomer. So it's not two separate occurrences, it's the same occurrence because both words were said as one. And to express that we have in one story the word Zohar and another story the word Shomer. We say this also in L'chadoidi, Zohar v'Shomer b'dibur echad hishmiyonu keil But why? What was the necessity for this supernatural phenomenon? Why the need, not just to juxtapose Zachar and Shamar, but to actually integrate them into a single word, something which only the Creator can do? Say Zachar and Shamar in one word. What would be the problem if God would say Zachar, and then say Shomer. Zohar v'Shomer is very much Shabbos. No, the rabbis say. Zohar and Shomer was set as one, as a single communication, as a single word. What's the point? What's the objective? You don't just perform miracles for the sake of it. As the Iran writes, the Rabbeinu Nisim explains in Russia, Saran, God doesn't just do miracles in vain. God doesn't do a miracle in vain. What was the point? What was the objective? One of the explanations is that Shabbos has two components. There's the Zohar of Shabbos and there's the Shomer of Shabbos. And it's similar to what we, we were, what we were discussing earlier. The Zohar of Shabbos is the positive element of Shabbos. Remembering Shabbos. Celebrate Shabbos. Take one day out of your week and turn it into a special day. So we sit with our family around the table we make Kiddush on wine. We wash and we eat bread. We engage in a delicious meal, gefilte fish, chicken soup, umkugul, umkishke, all the great delicacies of a beautiful Shabbos dinner. We sing songs and we spend time with our children and we spend time with our friends and we spend time with our communities and with our loved ones. It's a day that we dedicate more to prayer and to study, and to reflection, and to spend time with our souls, and to spend time with our God, and to remember the importance not only to make a living, but also to live. This is the Zohar of Shabbos. Zohar is Yom HaShabbos Lekatshay. Remember the day of Shabbos to give it extra sanctity. To make it simply a beautiful, unifying, elevated day in your burdensome, stressful Week. Shabbos then is a transcendental oasis, an island in time, just as there are islands in space. There are islands in time. 
But then there is the Shomer of Shabbos. Shomer of Shabbos is not the active things we do to make Shabbos special. Shomer is we guard, we preserve by abstaining from work. Zacher is essay, Shomer is loisa, say the rabbis say. Shomer is the abstaining from work, the guarding Shabbos, that it should not be violated, it should not be desecrated. We're guarding Shabbos that it should not be treated as another day, not by engaging in something positive, by, by, an, by abstaining from labor, by abstaining from doing things that would turn Shabbos into a regular day. So we don't answer the telephone, and we don't drive a car, and we don't carry, and we don't put on the light, and we don't ignite a fire, and we don't cook, and all the other malachas we don't write. And therefore we go, don't go to work, and we don't put on our computer, and we don't check our email, we don't send our email. In contemporary day. But the concept, timelessly, is le'sasakomalacha, don't do work. So the rabbis are telling us, zacher v'shamer b'diburechot. Remember that zacher and shamer are one. You can't differentiate between the two. Because if you will forfeit, if you will relinquish one, you will soon come to see that you will also lose the other component. Oy, how sensitive they were to the truths of human nature. Perhaps no other generation can testify to the powerful validity of their words than our own generation. There was a movement, there is a movement in Judaism which approximately in the early 1950s observed a crisis in the United States of America. The crisis was Jews were living far away from synagogue, from, Shab, from Shul. They wanted to engage in synagogue activity. They wanted to come to Shul. But there was a distance, a physical, geographical distance. They weren't living anymore in the shtetl. It was a few blocks away. They were moving also to suburbia and so forth. What do you do? It's American Jews. It's a modern generation. There are children involved. There are families involved. And therefore, perhaps with good intentions, they decided to separate the Zohar from the Shomer. They said, you know what? You'll drive to Shul on Shabbos. I, Laisasa, Kol Malacha, what happened to the Shomer? But if you want to keep the Zacher, there's no other choice. If you're not going to let them go to Shul on Shabbos with their vehicle, they're going to lose Shabbos. The energy of Shabbos, the power of Shabbos, the beauty of Shabbos will be lost. And in the beginning they made conditions, you can only use the car to go to Shul and come back. You can't use it to go to a hockey game or to go to the movies or to go to golf. Many of the leaders there had good intentions. They wanted to hold on to Shabbos. But they failed to understand Zohar v'shamar b'dibur echad. And what happened indeed? Once they compromised on the Shomer of Shabbos, a few years went by and their families lost the Zohar of Shabbos. The varamkeit, the warmth, the beauty of Shabbos. The celebration of Shabbos. A family knowing that Friday night, Shabbos day, mom and dad are nowhere else but connected to their family. No business responsibilities, no ballet, no opera, no cinema, no running to one meeting and another meeting, no watching television, 
knowing that this is the time fathers spend with their children, mothers spend with their children and with friends and with community members. They sing and they laugh and they tell stories and they learn and they grow and they pray and they study and they bond with themselves and with their loved ones and with Hashem, with God. They thought, let's hold on to this. If we have to compromise on the Shomer, we'll cut corners here and there, but we'll still have the Zacher. But what happened was a new generation of children grew up, and when they did not see the Shomer, they ultimately abandoned the Zacher for very simple reasons. Friday night, there are more exciting things to do than sit and eat Bobby's or Mommy's gefilte fish. If you don't have the Shomer, the rabbis are saying you're going to lose the Zacher. And yet, without the Zacher, you're also missing Shomer. Which means sometimes for some people, Shabbos is all about the other extreme. They don't engage in work, they don't go to the office. So they may stay home and sleep extra hours. So they're not abstaining in any work whatsoever. And yet, it's still not Shabbos. What they're missing is the Zacher of Shabbos. Shabbos is not just not doing something. Shabbos is also developing something. Shabbos is also work, but it's a different type of work. It's Meleches Shamayim. It's spiritual work. It's divine work. It's soul work. It's transcendental work. It's creating a certain reality of rest within yourself. It's going deeper into your own soul, deeper into your relationship with your inner identity and with your loved ones and with your God. That is a type of positive, active work to develop menucha, to develop tranquility. You know, there are people, practically speaking, that may not be doing anything. They may not be working, but it doesn't mean that they're serene, they're tranquil, they're celebrating life, they're joyous about life, they're wholesome about their life. Just because I don't work, it doesn't mean I have menucha. And this is the primary element of Shabbos, the Rambam says. Not just bitl melacha, not just not engaging in work, but also in menucha. In developing those factors that allow me to be tranquil on Shabbos, wholesome on Shabbos, holistic, harmonious, more connected to my inner core, my inner self. And then this allows me that even the other six days of the week, when the world pulls me, pulls us in various directions because of our responsibilities, which often become very stressful and intense, we do not go away completely from that core, from that axis of menucha that we experienced on Shabbos. This then allows us to have a new understanding in the Rambam and Hilchas Chametz Matzah. The Rambam says it's a mitzvah to tell the stories of the exodus of Egypt on the night of the 15th of Nisan because the Torah says, remember this day. So the Rambam says, It's like the mitzvah to remember Shabbos. What is the Rambam telling us? He's giving us a definition. What is it that we are remembering each Pesach? You see, just as Shabbos has two components, Exodus from Egypt and all forms of freedom and liberty and liberation also have two components. One component is you leave slavery. 
On Passover, the Jews were set free. They were not slaves anymore. They were no longer subjugated. They were no longer being oppressed. This is the negative element of freedom. You're not a slave. Nobody owns you. Nobody anymore has the power to dominate, control, and oppress your life. Then there is something else. Becoming a free human being. You may not have the yoke of servitude upon you, and yet you may still not be a free person. Because being free is not just not being a slave. Being free is not just a passive act. I am not under you. I am not under your dominance. Being free is an active experience. It's something that requires work. A different type of work, not slavery, but it requires work. Just as in Shabbos there are the two components, in freedom there are the two components. Practically, as just a simple example, we see there are people who spend many years in incarceration, unfortunately. When they're set free, they may not be slaves any longer, they may not be imprisoned any longer, they may not be prohibited from walking where they wish and doing what they want and defining their own schedule. But yet, very often you see, they leave the physical prison, but they don't have the ability to become free people, to embrace what it means to be really independent and free. That's an art in and of itself. On a deeper level, I may not be a slave, but does this mean I'm free? I may not have anybody telling me what to do, but I may have another question. What do I do with my freedom? What do I do with the fact that nobody dictates my behavior? What do I do with the fact that I don't have any authority over me? What do people do with their freedom and liberty? That's the question. When people are free, so they often say, what do I do with my free time? What do I do with my talents? What do I do with my gifts? What do I do with my resources? What do I do with my individuality? And sometimes in that question, I can become a slave. A slave to my instincts. A slave to my addictions. A slave to my laziness. A slave to random schedules that have no meaning and are not productive and don't have any substance. I can become a slave to pop culture. I can become a slave to common trends which don't really express me. Sure, it's easy to say what is freedom. Nobody owns you. You're your own person. But what do you do with that? That's a new question. That's a challenge. Many teenagers and adults struggle with this. They're free. Then there's the other question. What do I do with my freedom? Slavery has been abnegated. People are treated equally, or at least we hope so. What do I do with this? How do I deal with it? You know, in Hebrew, there are two words for freedom. Chayfesh and cheirus. When you go on vacation, I'm going on vacation. There's another word for liberty, cheirus. What's the difference? Chofesh which means freedom, chafshi, I'm free. Also, it has the same etymology as the word chapes, to search. Because very often, I'm free, and now I'm searching, who am I? I may not have you telling me what to do, 
but I still may not be aware, who am I? And with candles, I'm searching for myself. What do I want? What do I need? What is my calling? And that's why if you take somebody out of slavery, but you don't inculcate within them the ability to find themselves and discover their true self, their true calling, they may have left slavery in a negative sense, but they have still not embraced freedom in a positive sense. For them, liberty means not. I am not this, I am not this, I am not this, but liberty also has to have a yes. What does it mean to be free? The ability to exercise your rights to become an individual and use your talents and resources and gifts and time and abilities to become truly you and to achieve your calling and destiny in life. And that's why the greater word for liberty in Torah is cherus. Chorin ben chorin. Cherus comes from the word charos, which means engraved. The Mishnah says in Pirkei Freedom is to engage in study. Charos al halucha is engraved in the tablets. Al al The ethics of our fathers tell us. True freedom is when you realize who you really are. You realize what are the truths that are chorus, that are ingrained and engraved in you, and you have the freedom to live by them. And that's why throughout the story of the Exodus, Moshe never tells Pharaoh, Shalach es ami, let my people go. There's always one more word, v'yav, duni, and let them worship me. But Yitzhiyah HaSamim Mitzrayim, God tells Moshe, when you take the nation out of Egypt, Tavdun HaSelekim Al Harazeh, you will find God at this mountain. That's why the only two holidays in the Jewish calendar that are connected by days is Pesach and Shavuos. Shavuos doesn't have a date. Shavuos is the 50th day after the exodus of Egypt. Why doesn't it have a date? Sukkot has a date. Hanukkah has a date. Purim has a date. Shavuos doesn't have a date. In the time when the calendar wasn't fixed, Shavuos could be on the 5th of Sivan, the 6th of Sivan, the 7th of Sivan. It's the 50th day after Passover. Because Shavuos is not an independent holiday. Shavuos is a continuum of Pesach. Pesach is the time when the Jew leaves Egypt. Shavuos is the time when he stands at the mountain and embraces the blueprint, the manual for life, explaining who the person really is and what the world really is and how we get there. So Shavuos is a continuum for Pesach. And there's no Pesach. Pesach is lacking. Pesach is flawed without the experience of Shavuos. It has Chayfesh, but it doesn't have Chayrus. This is what the Rambam is telling us. The Rambam says it's a mitzvah to tell the stories that happened in Egypt on the night of the 15th of Nisan. It's similar to Shabbos. In the laws of Shabbos, the Rambam explained what are we remembering on Shabbos. We're not only remembering the passive element of Shabbos that we're not engaging in work. It's a day when we don't go to work. Remembering Shabbos also means remembering the Zachar of Shabbos. The Menucha of Shabbos. Understanding that Shabbos is a unique day, it's a transcendental day. It's a day of positive tranquility and celebration. It's a day when we cultivate those elements of our personality that allows us, allow us to become tranquil people. The Rambam says this is also the story of the exodus of Egypt. When we sit and we tell the story, it's not just a story of miracles that happened. That the Jewish people were enslaved and subjugated by a powerful world empire. 
which subjected them to slave labor and savage suffering for decades on end. That's one part of the story. But it's like Shabbos, we also tell of the miracle of liberty, that a nation embraced freedom. A nation learned what it means to be independent. Not only the rights of independence, but the responsibilities of independence. Freedom is not only what I don't have, but it's also what I do have. It's not only the lack of obligation, it's also my calling, my destiny. It's what I do with the abilities I have. Because without that, I may not be a slave. But I'm not free, I become another type of slave. I become a slave to other forces. And my inner core is wanting. So the Rambam tells us, and the continuation of the chapter testifies to the fact that this is his idea of what a Seder is throughout various halachis in chapter 7. The Rambam describes the Seder as a time when we recall not only the fact that we left Egypt, but that we embraced freedom and that we embraced divine freedom. Because in Judaism, freedom and liberty are tremendously noble experiences, the rights of every single human being. But the human being always has to remember that chayfish is not enough. One has to graduate and evolve from chayfish to chayrus. Freedom is not only that I am not your slave, but freedom is also my ability to look deep into my soul, embrace my destiny, embrace my time, understand my mission statement in life, and work towards achieving it. Have a wonderful evening. Good night.